Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. So Chris, got a question. Let's just start with the question right off the bat. Okay. Have you ever felt powerless to fix something? <laughs> every day. <laughs> I have no skills. I have no tools. I am the absolute world's worst. I'm shocked when I go looking at, at uh, DIY, do-it-yourself kind of things and uh, seeing some of the videos. Man, those guys don't have anything better to do. Have you, have you looked at some of those? This is an old, old guy out in the back. Let me show you how to do this. And they're brilliant, but it's just weird. I would agree. We had a car several years ago, a particular Ford product, that the car alarm would go off because of a rear passenger door. Just random. So I have, and again, Chris, I was clueless what to do. And I got on YouTube and there were multiple emails of how to fix the the alarm on the rear passenger door of a Ford Escape. And I had the same thought. Who thinks, you know, maybe I should record this because there's some idiot out there who doesn't know how to do this. So bringing this up because uh, we're going to be looking at a study today where the king, uh, and, and what we're going to look at is, he presented something to his uh, royal advisors and all these magicians that they were absolutely clueless of how to fix. So that's going to be our approach today. Well, it, it's a it's a fascinating story, and we look forward to getting into it. Um, we are in the second week of a study entitled "Staying True in a World Far from God," and that's really the world that we live in. It's a world far from God, so it. it has a lot of practical implications for us. Uh, we're looking at episodes in the life of Daniel and his being uh, part of that group of people that were exiled uh, from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon. So we'll look at that story. We have Michael Kelly with us. Michael wrote the content for the, uh, the Daily Discipleship Guide. Michael, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, and Lynn, I Brother, I think you should be encouraged that there were that many people who had the, like you didn't have just the one weird Ford Escape. Like there were enough people that had the alarm going off that somebody created created that thread. That's right. We are, Michael, we are glad to have you with us on this, uh, our, this uh, podcast. Uh, Michael serves as the executive director for the Nashville Baptist Association, a position Michael has been in for just a little over a year. But Michael has another distinction is at one time he was our director at Lifeway and I loved serving under Michael and his leadership. And that is kind. Those were those were good days and and uh, enjoyed working with all of you guys. It was wonderful. Well, you are a great writer and that uh, I was reminded of that as I reviewed some of the content that you created and uh, looking forward to having this conversation today. Yeah, me too. Me too. So what we're looking at is this, uh, we're going to look at this story from the, uh, Daniel chapter two, as we're looking at what it means to be uh, uh, focused in a world far from God. And what we're going to see is how they were powerless to fix something the king was calling them to do. But our response is this, and this is our point for this study, is that our prayers, our prayers really do make a difference. So for this session, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to begin, actually begin reading in our study in verse 13. But before I start reading that section, uh, Michael, would you would you mind just setting the stage? What has happened in the first 
12 verses of Daniel 2. Yeah, glad to do that. So uh, where we are in the, uh, the, the narrative story of Daniel, you know, you'll likely remember that uh, Daniel, along with a lot of other people, have been exiled to Babylon. Uh, Daniel and his friends in particular were singled out because they were uh, people of prowess. They were some of the best and brightest uh, people that the Babylonians regarded uh, as having great potential, I think. But that potential came with a caveat. They had great potential so long as they could be indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture and learn how to do things the way that we do them around here. So they weren't, the Babylonians weren't particularly interested in the Hebrew perspective on, on matters. Uh, they just saw people that they could form into their own image. And so in chapter one, we, we go through part of the narrative where, where Daniel in, in a very respectful, but forceful kind of way sort of leads out in, 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 in telling the Babylonians uh, if what seems to be a simple matter of eating and drinking, um, that we're not going to conform to the standards that you have put before us. Um, and he also says, not, not only is it against the law of our, our God, but it's actually advantageous for us not to do that. Uh, and uh, so that proves out. And by the time we get to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel and his friends have really, really distinguished themselves uh, in the midst of a whole bunch of other uh, advisors. In, in fact, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler at that time, found uh, Daniel and his friends to be way above and beyond all the people that he had surrounding, uh, all the people that he had surrounding him to give him advice. So they were highly, highly thought of by King Nebuchadnezzar. And as you can imagine, the other advisors which will be a theme that runs throughout the book, really don't look very kindly on the fact of, of these guys treading in their, what they perceive to be their territory. And so there we go into chapter two. Uh, so in chapter two, uh, the king has had a dream and he comes before his rulers, his, his uh, wise men and says, all right, here's the deal. I want, you to t- I want you to tell me what I dreamed and I want you to interpret the dream. And their response is, well, we can interpret the dream, no problem, but tell us what the dream is. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I want you to prove that you know that you're that you're really able to do these things. So you have to tell me what the dream is and then give me the interpretation. So it's an impossible situation. And they say that. And he says, well, then um, if you guys can't cut this, I'm going to execute you all and we'll start over again. Right. That's it. So that's where we are when we get to verse 13. So in verse 13, we read these words. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. But then Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Here I find it fascinating. Here's these men given this impossible task. And when it comes to Daniel, he chooses to go and seek God. That's exactly what he does. It, it, um, and, and Daniel has the has the, the presence of, of mind, and I, I really think the spiritual maturity 
to actually just take a step back from a seemingly impossible situation. You know, I mean, I, I think many times in life when we're confronted with, with things like this, where it doesn't feel like that there is a way through. One of the marks of our spiritual maturity is that we really are able to just take a breath and honestly assess the situation for what it is. But then at the same time, honestly assess ourselves and know that, okay, well, clearly I am out of my depth here, but fortunately I can always, I can always pray. I can always pray and ask the Lord, uh, ask the Lord for help. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, I mean, it's an often quoted text, but it seems really appropriate here from Proverbs chapter three, where we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. I think understanding there can mean a whole lot of different things, but particularly in this case, it it might mean uh, Daniel's not going to lean on his understanding of the specifics of the situation. He's not going to lean on his own ability to understand the dream on his own. In all regards, he's going to choose to lean on something better than his own than his own understanding. So that Proverbs three passage is one of my favorites. And that part of it, do not lean on your own understanding has become my favorite part <laughs> of it over time, you know, cause, cause that's what we tend to do. Uh, you made the statement, uh, Michael, that we underestimate, uh, God and we overestimate ourselves. <laughs> and that's really true. Yeah, it, it's it's true in a whole lot of regards. I mean, you know, I'm going back to the opening question at the beginning. Man, I, I can't think of the number of times that I have overestimated myself in simple tasks, you know, um, much less the really, really Im- important ones. Uh, but uh, I don't know, maybe in general, our willingness to just ask for help is probably a good indicator of whether we have a sober estimation of ourselves or, or not. And, and of course, the most appropriate place for us to ask for help is, uh, is the Lord and to do that in prayer. I'm fascinated with Daniel when he hears what's going to happen. You know, typically most of us, humanly, we just, we would overreact, you know, a little bit of a panic, but he goes to the king and it's what he asked. He asked for more time. Now I'm curious did he ask for a specific amount of time? Hey, can you give us another day? Uh, hey, King, how about 12 hours? We just don't know. He just asked for more time. But in that, somewhere there was some confidence on Daniel's part that I've got some time and God, I'm going to seek you out until you answer. Yeah. Which I, I, I've never thought about the fact that we don't really know how much time he asked for. Um, and perhaps that is indicative of the fact that Daniel is, I mean, he's operating on sort of a, uh, on sort of a balance of integrity in the palace at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if somebody other than Daniel who hadn't proven himself to be faithful and trustworthy, uh, and wise, if another person could have made an, such an ambiguous ask, but Daniel has the benefit of treading on his reputation here a little bit, maybe that he can he can say, "I just need some, I just need some time." And amazingly, Nebuchadnezzar gives it to him. He gives it to him. Well, yeah, that's a good point, Michael, because there's the idea. Obviously, he does have a, a good standing with the king, as you mentioned earlier from Daniel chapter one. He's proven himself in that sense already. 
Uh, yeah, I guess that's, that sounds makes sense that the king would go, okay, Daniel, yeah, I'll give you the time you need. Uh, it's a beautiful thing what he does. Now, what Daniel's doing is he's going to go to the only one he knows who could possibly give the answer. He's going to go to God, go, go to the ultimate king. But what he does also with that, he doesn't just pray himself. He calls in others to pray alongside him. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. And the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of the heavens. There's a sense here where I see that he prayed expectantly for God's wisdom and guidance. Before we go too far, um, I want us to talk practically in our world, in our lives. Why is it that so often prayers like the last resort? It's like, um, well, I, we can't do anything else, so let's pray. <laughs> we don't know what else to do, so let's pray. And where Daniel just immediately does that, but we tend to be the opposite. Is that is that the case? Is that what you've seen in your personal life and in the lives of others? Well, it certainly is from, from my experience. And I don't know the answer to the question in, entirely. Um, I, I suspect that some of it is probably cultural. I mean, we, uh, if, you, if you've been raised particularly in uh, North America or the United States, you know that, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, the ethos of this nation is sort of rugged individualism, bootstraps mentality, we'll, we'll get it done and do it for ourselves. So there's, there's some of, some of that, I think that's probably, uh, that's probably in us too. But I think alongside that, uh, really is a, is a function of our faith. Do we really believe that the Lord is, do we really believe that the Lord, uh, hears us, cares enough to answer and is and is able to and is able to do so. I'm not trying to be uh, necessarily like uh, simplistic about it, but I do think that it's an if then statement. If we believed God would answer, then we would pray. Um, then we then we would pray. When someone when there is an issue that comes up, what automatically comes through my head is how have I dealt with this in the past? What solutions? Whether it's something very practical, i.e. how to fix something, uh, that uh, I just kind of run through my head the list, the litany of things that, well, I could do this or I could do that without thinking, uh, looking to God. Even when someone comes up to me at church and asks that, says that dreaded thing, hey, can I ask you a question? <laughs> And uh, I'm thinking, okay, I hope I've got the right answer. I hope there's something in my past I can answer with. Rather than saying, and I've learned to do this, God, help me to give them the answer, the, the correct answer, the one that they need. Uh, and, and starting right there, trusting that God will give me the wisdom or the discernment, whatever I need to provide a good answer. But it is true. It's our human nature to go through that litany of things that in our head, that uh, find, trying to find that solution. You mentioned, Michael, the James uh, passage that says, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask God, he'll give you all that you need. And uh, 
so we see it played out here. So it was a, it was a great connection, uh, but it's so true in our lives. And there are, I mean, we all lack knowledge and wisdom about something. Um, relationships, finances, um, uh, theological things. You know, we, we just, we, we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. So, uh, it's a, it's good advice to say, okay, God, you have all wisdom. And you said, if I ask uh, for wisdom that you would give it and you'd give it abundantly. So let's, uh, let's practice that. And obviously Daniel got that and understood that and practiced that. And Daniel, then he calls, as, as we've seen, his, his uh, three cohorts, calls them to pray alongside him. And here's another fascinating thing about this account. We don't know how long they prayed. It just says Daniel went to his friends and urged them to ask the God of heaven for the uh, uh, mercy concerning this mystery. And then the next verse the mystery was then revealed to Daniel. And I want to think, okay, was that like 10 minutes later? Was it during the night? Was it two weeks later? We just don't know. But I dare say that Daniel and his three friends, they prayed until that answer was there. Daniel recognizes that he needs wisdom. He, he goes to God, but he also goes to his friends. And so uh, he says to them, hey, guys, we need to get together. We need to pray. We need to we need to ask God to help us to know you know what this mystery is. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the significance and the importance of that type of prayer, of corporate prayer, um, in our lives and in our in the church today. There is a uh, I, I want to be careful about how I, I how I say this because um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you can misconstrue misconstrue some things ab about prayer in terms of making it sort of almost magical and formulaic. Like if I have the right number of people praying about the right thing for the right amount of time, then that sort of unlocks the door to these kinds of, of answers from the Lord. And I don't think it works that way. At the same time, I do think that there is power in people joining together for common purpose and praying together. Uh, I, I have found it interesting, uh, particularly over the last couple of years in noticing that the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed, what we call the Lord's prayer that has served as a model for prayer, literally for, for thousands of, of years, uh, it is a communal prayer. We, we try, we think of it in terms of an individual prayer, but Jesus addressing his disciples says, when you, plural, pray, you all should pray like this. So you, you never find the word I in the Lord's prayer. It's almost assumed that the people of God will be praying together. They'll be praying together. Um, yeah, our Father, forgive us of our sins. Uh, it, it's all, it, it's, it's people joining together and doing it. So clearly if this is the model prayer that Jesus gave for us, clearly that is his intent as, as well for us too. Now you of course balance that with the fact that Jesus, you know, to you go into your prayer closet and, and pray not to be seen on street corners and that kind of thing. Um, but again, this may be back to the individual, 
uh, kind of rugged individualism of our culture, it does feel like that in some ways we have we have overplayed that. We swung the pendulum too far to the individual side at the neglect of of real sustained corporate prayer together. Well, we know certainly that God will answer a, a individual person's prayer. You have a need, you go to God. He certainly hears that. I think one of the benefits of praying together is now when I ask, God answers. I honor and I glorify God. I give thanks to Him. But when it's done in a group setting and everyone else is aware that the answer's there, there's a sense of corporate praise, that there's more people honoring and recognizing God is at work here. And I think, Chris, that's a value for corporate prayer. It really is. And before we get to the next section, let's. Uh, one of the questions that we ask from a discussion perspective is, um, when has God answered your prayer in a meaningful way? So it would give the people a chance to talk personally about that. But you could also ask that question, when has God answered a prayer, a, a corporate prayer in a meaningful way, a prayer that we have prayed together as a church or our group? So there's there's a couple of ways to have conversations where people can talk about their experiences and seeing God respond and hear. Uh, well, the, let me raise another question for you, too, just um... – in terms of corporate prayer, when in a Bible study group, uh, as uh, we'll all be in, when we have an opportunity, usually there's a prayer time. Uh, my wife and I have discussed this. We're not the kind to share prayer requests. Now, we will certainly pray for others and with others, but whereas there's other people that always have something they want to lift up, we're kind of just the opposite. And I'm not sure, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. Uh, but there's a little bit of, well, it's just be- kind of between me and God, or uh, I don't need to bring other people into the conversation. Do you, do either one of y'all, do y'all have issues with, uh, is it easy for you to share prayer requests with others so they can pray with you? So, so my wife and I are exactly the opposite of, of each other. So, I, I tend to hesitate to say I'm not feeling good or I'm sick or something like that. And if, if she, or if she knows that I'm not feeling well, she immediately has people that she, she broadcasts. Okay. You need you to pray. You need you to pray. And so I've, I've come to deeply appreciate that, even though it's not natural for me to do, I appreciate the fact that my wife just immediately says, Oh, we need people to pray for us. Um, so in your household, you guys are, are one. In our household, we do it totally different. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, hey, I need your prayers. But um, the, the, obviously there is value in that. Michael? Uh, I'm probably the same way. Uh, I, would, I would tend toward hesitating as well. But I, I you know, I, uh, I, I think for, for me, it, it's probably to an unhealthy degree. There is some healthy discernment, I think, that goes along with that, right? But probably for me, it's it it's a little bit too uh, it's a little bit too much, though. So that is to say, I think with me, if I dug a little bit deeper and said, "All right, well, what's the reason behind the reason?" I mean, I might say, "Well, I don't want to share my prayer request because I don't want to take up time," or you know, it's you know, it's probably probably not as important as somebody else's prayer request or whatever, whatever the surface reasons. When I, if you, if you peel back, back a layer and go one layer down, I think the reason behind the reason is, uh, is, is because of my pride. 
when you ask somebody to pray for you, implicit in the request is that you can't do something. Like you can't fix something or you're not smart enough to do or, or you're struggling. And so you are tacitly admitting, you know, your own insufficiency when you are telling someone that or requesting that someone prays for you. Uh, so that's, I think, why I would, in my case, I would think it's probably on the unhealthy side. Well, Michael, you just hit the heart of it, I think, for so many of us. There's a touch of pride in that. You're right. So I read a devotion today about a, a guy who became a Christian in college. And uh, as a young Christian, uh, he was having a co- he engaged someone in a conversation about spiritual things. And uh, the guy said, you know, Christianity is just a crutch. And, and, and this guy's, res- this man's response, this young college student who was a new Christian said, well, yeah. Christianity is a crutch. <laughs> the, the guy meant it is bad. He was no, it's good. And then he went on to say, "In my life through the years, I've come to realize that people say that, um, but we need to come to the place where we recognize that we are spiritual cripples. We have handicaps. We need <laughs> we need a crutch. We need God, and that's uh, that's pretty good." Well, let's look at what uh, Daniel's response. He's prayed. God's revealed the mystery. And when you come to verse 20, we're still in Daniel 2. We're going to see his prayer of praise. He declared, may the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes the kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. And I offer thanks and praise to God, to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. Now, if we skip down to verse 27, after this prayer, Daniel responds to the king. Daniel answered the king, No wise man, median, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, and he has let the king Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. And we see here Daniel is fully acknowledging both in his prayer and in a public statement. He is acknowledging that God is the source of the answer. So we will see that this is the first time that Daniel uh, makes that type of statement. But as we continue to look at the book of Daniel, we will see that there will be other times that Daniel will point the king or the leaders or the people to this. The, God is the one who answered the prayer. He's we, we depend upon him. We look to him and he's the one that pr- has provided for us. So this it, it's a constant uh, theme for Daniel to give credit and glory to God uh, for the answer prayers that he gives. There's a valuable reminder for me here, too, that when I've asked God for something and he answers, I need to respond. I mean, because sometimes it'll be hours later, I'll go, oh, yeah, hey, God, thanks. I for- <laughs> You did take care. You don't want to ask something that's a very short, uh, God, I need this right now. And he responds. And it's not till hours later I think, God, hey, oh, by the way, yeah, you did respond. Thank you. 
reminder for me that I need to be ever honoring him because of how he responds to my prayers. I really love the confident humility of Daniel, which I think is apparent throughout the book and the way that he he prays. And it's really a posture. Um, it, it's such a wonderful posture for the Christian to have at the same time. So the Christian ought to be at the same time the person in the world who is most aware of their own abject helplessness and simultaneously be the one most confident in what's going to happen in the future. So there's that, it's a beautiful blend of humble confidence that is, I think, displayed in the way that, in the way that Daniel prays. We want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that it's been beneficial to you to have the opportunity to uh, to focus in on this scripture passage and the importance of prayer. Michael will be back with us in a couple of weeks. As the author, we've invited him back. Uh, he'll be back with us in the fifth session. So, Matt, Michael, we look forward to having more conversation with you uh, in regard to the book of Daniel. And we hope all of you all have a great Bible study this week. 